Well, here we are once again talking about what else but paying college football players and college athletes for that matter. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate you joining us and being a part of the show. So before we dive into it, take a second out, leave us that rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. Sent a bunch out this week. Got a bunch of recent reviews on iTunes. So if you do it, I will send you that Heartland College Sports koozie. Big 12 tournaments right around the corner. Keep the beer cold. Just send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. That's Pete M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. I would really appreciate it. I know a lot of you haven't done it yet, so I'm going to nag you guys. Thanks so much. All right. This week, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby was on Capitol Hill testifying at the first hearing on student-athlete pay in the U.S. Senate. Bob Bowlesby, Capitol Hill. He was joined by, also in the Big 12, University of Kansas Chancellor uh, Douglas Gerard. But both men came at the issue of how to handle players' names and images and likenesses and whatnot and how to pay them for it if they should be paid for it. They came at this from different angles. Bowlesby was very cautious about paying college athletes, saying, quote, I fear that if we adopt a process that permits, per se, play for pay or any proxy for pay for play, we find ourselves changing the the team chemistry that has made college athletics so special. Okay. Commissioner went on to say, I fear and believe that the invitation of third parties into name, image, and likeness space will irrevertibly insert them into the recruiting and transfer environment. We have already witnessed far too many such intrusions on fair play. Now, as for Gerard, he took a different approach. He seemed more open to it, but said he wanted uniformity across the board, citing the potential for a federal law to ensure fairness because Division I universities compete in all 50 states. I'm with Gerard there. That's the biggest thing to me. Whatever goes through has to be the same in all 50 states. It's got to be the same. You can't have California making it easier for athletes to profit off name, image, and likeness. You just can't have that and then have Texas being like, yep, we can't do anything about that. We're totally host. You just you, you can't go down that road. And when in, in California back in, I think it was, it was yeah, September, when Governor Gavin Newsom signed the Fair Pay to Play Act, which opened the door for making money off of endorsement deals, it was like, okay, well, if I'm a five-star guy from Texas, why am I going to stay in state? Right? I'll just go to USC, get a great education, got top of the line, blue blood, just like Texas or Texas A&M. Maybe I win a Pac-12 title, although, let's be honest, USC is certainly um, underachieved, I guess you could say, the last several years. But hey, Texas and Texas A&M, same thing for them, right? So I'll just go to USC, make some money off my name, image, and likeness, try to protect myself just in case something does happen to me on the injury front. And boom, away I go off to the NFL, hopefully to a long, lucrative career. Uh, You can't have different states with different rules on this stuff. You want to talk about the Wild West, it's a hell of a way to create a Wild West. It's a heck of a way to do it. So all of a sudden, other states started passing their own laws that were similar to California's. But that's the biggest thing. Got to be even across the board. Now, I'm not someone who believes we should just be like, you know what? Here's a blank check. You're a five-star. How much money do you want? Uh, How much money does mom and dad want? What do you need? 
Because then you got boosters just going bonkers. I, it, it's going to be wildly out of control. Even though I'm a free market guy, there's something to be said for college athletics staying true to what it's supposed to be. And let's be fair about this as well. Unless you're Tim Tebow, unless you're I'm trying to think of a Big 12 guy that would uh, fit this mold of Tim Tebow. All right, fine. Baker Mayfield, Sam Ellinger. Who else do we want to put into this category of not just really good players, but superstars who would sell jerseys and sell tickets on their own because of who they are? Right? You want to go to Mason Rudolph? I'm going down the list a little bit there. But you get the point. Big stars at big positions in the Big 12 who single-handedly change a program. I know many of you are listening and screaming at guys I'm forgetting, but they're the first ones that just came to my mind off the top of my head. All right, so so cut me a little bit of slack here for a second, okay? <laughs> uh, but I'm looking at that, and I'm saying to myself, okay, who's really worthy of that? Who is it? There's a handful of them. A lot of guys that end up playing Division I college football aren't even worth the scholarship money, the tutoring money that they get, the nutrition that they get, the uh, instruction that they get in the weightlifting front. I mean, you're talking about some of these schools that, especially if you're out of state or it's a private university, like a place like Baylor, you're talking all in all probably upwards of sixty-five dollars to $75,000 per year. That you're getting in education, that you're getting in room and board, nutrition. Uh, don't forget the publicity that you're getting by playing on a place like you know ESPN or FS1, whatever it might be. There's something to be said for all of that. All that. So I, I'm not looking to go down this road. Now, if you want to create a stipend situation for, hey, if you do an endorsement for a local car dealer in Norman, Oklahoma or Ames, Iowa, or Manhattan, Kansas, I'm open to that. I'm very open to that. But I'd have to see how it's written up and how it's drawn up. And I'd have to make sure it's done on the up and up. And and I know the argument is, well, so much of this stuff is not on the up and up anyway. At least this takes it out of the shadows, so to speak. Okay, but just because it's out of the shadows doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Okay, I mean, you don't legalize heroin simply because there's a lot of terrible things that are happening uh, in the shadows. And for those of us that have people that, you know, whether it's family or friends dealing with these addictions, and, and I know that, you know, I'm in that category. I know many of you are in that category. Simply legalizing something doesn't necessarily mean it fixes the problem. And I'm not comparing doing hard drugs to making money off your name, image, and likeness. I'm drawing a parallel between two examples of saying something is illegal, and if we make it legal, it fixes the problem. It doesn't always work that way. It's not always that simple. Now, here's an interesting angle to all this as well. What happens if the XFL takes off, right? What happens if the XFL becomes a viable minor league system for the NFL? What happens then? Now, right now, the XFL does not have the same eligibility requirements for players as the NFL does. Right now, the NFL requires all players to be at least three years removed from high school to be eligible for a team's roster. That does not exist in the the XFL. So the XFL could find itself in a situation where, you know, a, a stud 
absolute stud, like let's say Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, if he wants to go play and make some money in the XFL for a couple of years after, say, winning a national championship as a true freshman, he can go do that, make some money. You know, the XFL is not saying that it's targeting those players. They're going more for backups. Think about what happened like with NFL Europe, uh, Kurt Warner, Brad Johnson, Jake DeLome, guys like that. But it's very possible that if the XFL takes off, why not go for guys that have incredible true freshman or sophomore years that want to make a little bit of coin before they get to the NFL? You know, you never know with injuries how things work out. And if the XFL can say to a guy, hey, we'll pay you half a million, maybe a million dollars a year. I don't know what the number has to be, but you may say, you know what? I don't need another year in college. I'll just go to the XFL. It's got decent ratings. Maybe it's not as popular as the college game, but I can make some money. And then, you know what? You got the draft uh, coming up here in the spring. Who knows? Very interesting. And there's a lot of moving parts right now. I don't know if the XFL is going to do well. I know it had a good opening weekend there. It you know, had uh, top viewership numbers for any sport, which says more about where the NBA is than anything else. The NBA is a dumpster fire right now. I know we don't talk a lot of NBA on this show for obvious reasons. We're a Big 12 show, but I used to be a diehard NBA guy. Like I loved the NBA from like 95 to 05. But gosh, I cannot get into that league. When I lived in Oklahoma 10 years ago, I was all in on the Thunder because they were making their run early in the Durant-Harden tenure, Westbrook tenure. That was so much fun. You know, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, it was so much fun with those guys. It felt like a college team, to be honest. But uh, since then, I mean, the NBA just can't. I cannot get into it at all. It's terrible. So the XFL is doing bigger numbers than the NBA, which says more to me about the NBA than it does the XFL, but the XFL will take it. And, you know, they've got two years to figure it out, but they could be the ones to drastically change the college football landscape far more than the folks in Washington, D.C. are going to do. And and if there's one thing that we can all agree on in very polarizing political times, how about this? Hey, government, for the most part, let's keep you the heck out of our college football. I mean, you guys screw up most things you touch. Like, most things that are touched by government get screwed up, especially the guys in Washington, D.C. and gals in Washington, D.C. right now. So do us a favor. Don't ruin the best sport in America. Please don't do it. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Coming up, let's talk to Matthew Poston, our Big 12 basketball insider. That's next. Well, as we do each and every time this week during the uh, Big 12 basketball season, we say hello to Matthew Postens joining us on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Matthew, a good week of basketball in this conference. The highlight was probably the Wednesday night action between Kansas and West Virginia. As you are watching that game unfold, what did that game tell you about these two teams as we suddenly inch closer and closer to March? Well, I think it's clear that you know Kansas and Baylor are the two best teams in the conference. Uh, there's a significant talent gap and a significant 
play gap between those two teams and the rest of the conference. And it's, it's embodied by the fact that neither one of them has a road loss this year. Uh, Morgantown has been a very difficult place for people to play so far this season. Uh, West Virginia was one of two teams in the Big 12 that was undefeated for the season at home going into that game. Uh, we've seen them blow out Texas. We've seen them blow out TCU. We've seen them handle Texas Tech. Uh, but Kansas went in there, and, and they were behind for a good portion of that game. But the last 10 minutes, uh, they did what Kansas teams typically do late in games because they've been there before. And that might be the biggest thing that kind of stuck out in the final 10 minutes of that game was, you know, Kansas has players that have been there before, have done that, uh, have made clutch plays down the stretch. And, and West Virginia, I kind of felt like, was searching for that guy or those guys that wanted to take those shots down the stretch. Um they're a young team. I think they may figure that out as we get into the NCAA tournament. But that was the big thing that stuck out to me on Wednesday night was just the fact that you know there's a, there's a talent gap there, uh, and there's a, a gap in terms of when you get down to the end of the game, who wants to take those uh, big shots? Uh, Kansas had those guys. West Virginia didn't seem to have those guys on Wednesday night. Now, also on Wednesday night, Matthew, you had Oklahoma blowing out Iowa State. I know you know Tyrese Halliburton's done for the year. It has not been a good year for the Cyclones, but – my goodness, when you think about this team and winning the Big 12 tournament last year, the excitement around that, where Steve Prohm had this team and, and this program, and to look at what this season's turned into, how surprising has, and disappointing has this year been thus far up in Ames? I'm pretty surprised, honestly. I, I knew there would be a drop-off, you know, given what they lost last year. I did not see it being this significant. I did not see it being uh, this steep a drop into the bottom half of the conference. Uh, they've been relatively healthy most of the year, with the exception of Halliburton getting hurt here late on uh, with the wrist. Uh, it just hasn't come together. Uh, I mean, when you watch this team play, uh, you have pockets of, of really good play from players like uh, uh, Bolton. Uh, Young has a good game every once in a while. I think, you know, just looking at this team over the course of the Big 12 season, the player that I really kind of feel like they needed to get going but really hasn't, you know, been what he was last year was uh, Jacobson. Um, mm-hmm. He was a real glue guy for this team in terms of, you know, not just handling things inside uh, when was needed because they lost Young to, to injury last year, but but also just the the statistics that he brought to the table uh, on a week to on a game to game basis. He hasn't been able to do that this year, and I think that has kind of compounded the problem as they've uh, brought in and integrated a lot of young players. Uh, into that team. Uh, it's just been an extraordinarily off year for them when you consider the talent they had. Uh, the guy, guys like um, uh, uh, Zion Griffin haven't developed, I think, the way they were hoping to. He's part of that big recruiting class they had two years ago. So just a lot of problems in Ames right now from a, a standpoint of talent and it not coming together. Uh, I guess the only good news with the Halliburton injury is that he's likely to go to the NBA, and that would give Iowa State a scholarship to go out and recruit another player for next season. Matthew Poston's joining us talking Big 12 basketball as we do each and every time this week. Uh, Matthew, Oklahoma. We talk about the top four teams in the conference a lot. KU, Baylor, Baylor, KU, whatever order you wanted to go in. West Virginia, Texas Tech. Uh, there's a big drop-off, but Oklahoma's kind of sitting in there. They blew out Iowa State Wednesday. They got a win last weekend over West Virginia. They've got a very interesting schedule coming up. At Kansas this weekend, home to Baylor on Tuesday, Oklahoma State, and then a home matchup against Texas Tech, followed by a road game against West Virginia. That's the four ranked teams in the conference in the next five games. What do you expect from this Oklahoma team? Are we um, underrating them, or are they just kind of middle of the pack? 
Uh, I think we are underrating them just a little bit because they've got three players on their team that are averaging more than 14 points a game and Doolittle, Manic, and Reeves. Uh, they, their bench is starting to come along. Avondis Williams started for them on Wednesday night, but he's been coming off the bench for them the past few weeks and has given them some very good play. Uh, I still don't think they're a terribly deep team, but the thing that I like about them is that they're competitive in pretty much every game they play, whether they're playing Kansas or whether they're playing Oklahoma State. Um, they're taking care of the teams they should be taking care of. They got a nice win at home against West Virginia, and they're competitive with the teams that are above them in the standings. I, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. Uh, the bracketology seems to back that up at both ESPN.com and CBSSports.com. Uh, I just think they're – I wouldn't call them middle of the road. I think they're the best of the rest in this conference, however you want to put it. Uh, I think they're a team that could win an NCAA tournament game because Lon Kruger is such a good coach, and he's so good at putting the pieces in the right places once you get to the postseason. And Christian Doolittle is a double-double waiting to happen every single night. Had a very good game against Iowa State. Uh, had a very good game uh, earlier uh, last week as well. Uh, he's one of the most consistent big men in the conference, and as long as he's playing well and they're getting good play from Brady Manick and Austin Reeves, they're going to be in every game they play. Matthew, bottom of this conference right now. I mean, Oklahoma State beats K-State uh, this week. The Cowboys have now won two or three. They hung in there against Baylor last weekend as well. I mean, as you look at the bottom of this conference right now, who who's the best of the worst? I mean, I hate to put it like that, but where do you look to? Do you look to, uh, do you look to Oklahoma State? Do you look to Kansas State? Or is there somebody else we're not looking at? I, I think I look to Oklahoma State. I think they're finally starting to figure some things out. Now, granted... Uh, they're still not shooting the ball very well, which is really surprising to me when you consider the shooters that they have on that team. Uh, they had to integrate a lot of young pieces off their bench and out of their recruiting class, I think a little faster than they wanted to. But I think it's all starting to come together a little bit for Mike Boynton here. Like you said, they've won two of their last three games. Uh, there, there's no questioning their effort from night in and night out. I think the piece that's really keeping them from being a team that could be what I think everybody thought they were going to be, which was the middle of the pack team of this conference, is the development of URNA. Um, he was a guy that I expected to be a much more complete and much more consistent uh, big man going into this season, and he really hasn't been. Now, he's averaged uh, or he's had double figures in scoring three of his last six games, so he's starting to come along. But this was the track we saw last year. He improved the last month of the season. We expected big things from him, and it really didn't happen. If you're looking ahead to the rest of the season, obviously you want your and A to play well, but you want him to carry that over into next season as well because they have a really big recruiting class mm-hmm. coming into Stillwater next year. Plus they have the guys they recruited this year like Avery Anderson. They could be a very good basketball team next year, but they need, some, they need somebody inside that can help them be dominant, and an A has to be that guy. Matthew Poston's our guest, our Big 12 basketball insider. Uh, Matthew, this week uh, you had Texas losing to Baylor. Now, it's been a tough stretch for the Longhorns, Kansas, Texas Tech, and Baylor. The fire shock at chance broke out again. Uh, you know, you hate to talk about a guy losing his job, but what do you think the odds are Shaka Smart's back next year at this point? I actually think they're 50-50 at this point because uh, neither bracketology seems to think Texas is an NCAA tournament team right now. I think they're actually a borderline NIT team right now. And you could make the argument that Texas has recruited as well 
as Kansas and Texas Tech and Baylor over the last three years. I mean, it's not like Shaka Smart is wanting for talent there at Texas. He has some of the best guards in the conference. Uh, I think he's getting some interesting play out of two or three guys that really weren't factors for them about a month ago. They've done some great development with Jericho Sims from last year to this year, but it's not coming together. And when you have the talent, and when you have ability on your team and it's not consistent, you start to look to the coaching. And I looked to the last eight minutes of that game with Baylor on Monday night where Shaka finally said, okay, we're going to press. We're going to push the tempo of the game. We're going to start moving up and down the floor. And I'm thinking to myself, why not do this every game from here on out? Because his team responded to that. That's how they got back into that game. Granted, they didn't win, but they got back into that game because they went to the press. And they mm-hmm. went to pushing the ball on tempo. Start doing those things more because I do think his job is on the line. I don't think it's a given that they'll fire him. I don't think it's a given that they'll absorb the $10 million uh, buyout and hire somebody else. But if you really are interested in keeping your job next season, if you're Shaka Smart, go to the tempo, go to the press, you know, start getting your guys to buy into playing you know, at a, a faster pace because I think that agrees with this Texas team. But right now, the way they're playing, uh, they've got a stretch now where they can win a few games and help themselves. I think they could get to 18 wins before they get to the Big 12 tournament, but they've got to start playing more consistently. They've lost six of their last eight. Wow. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how the Shaka Smart saga uh, plays out here these next few weeks, possibly coaching for his job. He's Matthew Post, and it's always great to have him on, get his insights as we go through the Big 12 basketball season. And, yeah, I mean, it's crazy, but March is right around the corner. Matthew, always great to have you on. Really appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Pete. Coming up, let's go out to Las Vegas. Greg Peterson with the Vegas Sports and Information Network. He's going to talk to us about a little Big 12 hoops. That's coming up next. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Final few minutes on the show. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Appreciate you joining us and uh, being a part of the show. So a few things I want to hit on as we have some time. Last week, Matt Campbell turned down Michigan State. And some of you were, I guess, surprised by this, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, Matt Campbell is staying at Iowa State. You know, Matt Campbell's not going anywhere. He's an Iowa State guy for now, through and through. Do I think Matt Campbell ends his career at Iowa State, a la Bill Snyder? I do not. I don't. But I think that Matt Campbell's at the point where he sees unfinished business. He sees more potential in Ames. He's building a house or has built a house there. You know, he's got the family. He's got the kids. He doesn't have any hotshot agent. I think Matt Campbell's there for a while. I think he's going to max out the potential of that program in the next five, maybe ten years, and then he will go on. But let's not think that Michigan State isn't a good job. I mean, Matt Campbell has turned down interviews at Florida State. That's a better job. His name was tied to that opening. Um, And then Michigan State as well. He said, no thanks, not going to entertain the interview. Now, I think Michigan State, for a guy like Matt Campbell, is a better fit than a place like Florida State. He's a Big Ten guy, Big Ten country. He understands being the little brother in the state, so to speak, you know, being at Iowa State compared to Iowa, like Michigan State versus Michigan. I think he's a good fit at a place like that, but I don't blame him for saying no. I think Michigan State, by the way, is a solid job. I I think the timing of the retirement 
made it difficult for Michigan State to find a decent coach, and they got the guy from Colorado. But I think it's a good job. Like, look at the Big Ten. Ohio State's better. Michigan's better. Uh, I guess you would say Penn State's better. You could make the argument for Michigan State. And then Nebraska, is Nebraska better? I mean, Nebraska, since it left the Big 12, has lost the pipeline. And yes, it's got the legacy and the history and everything else, but it just feels like Nebraska's in no man's land. Is Iowa a better job? Is Wisconsin a better job? Probably. But it's definitely top half of the Big 10, if not top third of the Big 10 for Michigan State. I think it's a real good job. Probably a top 20 to 25 job in the country. When you stack them all up. So it's a good place to work. It's just a tough time of year to be trying to find a new head coach. You know, that's that's the biggest problem right now with Mark D'Antonio hanging him up. So that was um, interesting. You know, I think Matt Campbell's safe for a while. But, hey, every time a job like this comes up, Matt Campbell's name will be tied to it. That's just how it's going to work. You know, and the haters are going to say, well, you know, what did he do last year? He underachieved what happened to the Big 12 uh, championship game he was supposed to be in. It's all relative. The fact that Campbell even had this team getting talked about for a Big 12 championship game is what makes him worthy of being talked about for some of these other jobs. Yeah, this year didn't go as planned, but a lot of close losses in basically every game. A lot of guys coming back this year. It's going to be a good time to be in Ames. All right, so keep that in mind. Now, we talked about the recruiting rankings last week, right? Because you had signing day, come and go, and not as big a deal as it used to be since there's a lot of guys that sign early. But this tweet in the last few days from College Football on Fox was like, are you looking to get trolled here? The tweet read as follows. For the third year in a row, Texas football is king of the recruiting in the Big 12 Conference with a fire emoji, and then it ranked per Fox – The recruiting rankings in the Big 12, Texas at 1, OU, TCU, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Baylor, Kansas. That's not something to hang your hat on when you're Texas, and you basically have been 7-5 and for the better part of a decade. All right? It's It's not. Not something to hang your hat on. I mean, Texas should be proud of the fact that it's got a top 10 class and the top class in the Big 12. Tom Herman should be thrilled by that. He's got a five-star guy. He's got 14 four-star guys. Great combination. Good for him. That's awesome. And I know Texas is not doing the bragging. But even if you're a Texas fan, this is not the kind of thing that you, like, retweet. Okay? Because the jokes then write themselves. And I want to see Texas football be good. I've said that over and over and over again for as long as many of you have been listening to the podcast. It's good for the Big 12 when Texas is good. It's good for any conference when the Blue Bloods are good. But it's just, you're asking to be trolled here. You're asking to get flack here when you have up a tweet like that saying, once again, third straight year, Texas football, king of recruiting in the Big 12. Okay, and what do you have to show for it? Right? Like, the point of this is to win games, not win recruiting rankings. That's that's kind of the goal of how this whole thing works. And that's what makes this tough to swallow if you're a Texas fan that's, you know, paying attention to this whole deal and actually watching everything unfold. So, let's uh let's pump the brakes on that. And then right on cue, uh, <laughs> who was it? Um Cole Kubelik, ESPN guy, wrote an article this week on why Texas will compete for a uh, college football playoff berth. 
and I, I hope they do. You know, I hope you got Texas up there. I hope you got OU up there. I hope you have a dark horse as well, whether it's Oklahoma State or Iowa State or Baylor's back in the mix. Or TCU comes out of, uh, I don't want to say nowhere because Patterson's been in Big 12 title games. But I hope you have this awesome hierarchy at the top of the conference, which right now I'd probably stack up as follows. OU, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State. Uh, I, uh, probably got to put Oklahoma State ahead of Iowa State. Let's start that over. <laughs> Let's go OU, Texas, Oklahoma State. Iowa State, TCU, that could be a really good top five of the conference. Now, you could end up in a situation that's similar to Big 12 basketball right now where there's a big drop-off after the top four or five teams in the conference because I don't know if K-State can pull off the magic they had last year again this fall. Now, I know that they've got a lot of good guys coming back. I'm just, you know, wait-and-see approach. Kansas, still rebuilding. Uh, Texas Tech has got work to do. West Virginia has got work to do. Right, So I don't know if it's going to be that same kind of uh, the haves and the have-nots in the conference, but it's very possible. It's very possible. The top half of this conference, I know it's early, but, man, it could be really good. And we've got some spring games getting announced this week. We've got spring practices getting underway the next few weeks. I can't wait. I mean, between myself and Derek Duke, our Big 12 football guy, uh, we are just, oh, man, we're jonesing for some type of Big 12 football. I love the hoops. Our guy Matthew Postens kills it on the basketball coverage. I mean, we are Big 12 through and through. Our guy Cam Brock is all about uh, you know football and, and baseball for the most part. But man, oh man, get me some Big 12 football. A-S-A-P, please. Pretty please. I'm not asking for a lot. Just asking for a little bit of love because I'm ready for it, man. I am absolutely ready for it. Recruiting fun, but I need action. I need action. I'm Pete Mundo or Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you joining us and, and being a part of the show, as many of you are each and every week. A reminder, this show does not end, right? We don't take breaks in the spring or the summer or rest up for the season. We go all year around, and we do it for you on both the radio show, on both the podcast. So we appreciate each and every one of you joining us and spreading the word, by the way, on the show. This show is spreading because of word of mouth. So thank you to each and every one of you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, on Heartland College Sports Weekly.